This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. Derek Van Riper, you know Sarah's Bertiroli back I didn't get completely Wally pipped by Britt, but I think Britt is uh, earning lead hosting duties on a at least semi-regular basis. Like Even when I'm here, Britt, it's nice to just pass the ball over and, and know that the show's in great hands. Uh, well, thanks for the compliment. I felt like we couldn't replace you at all, and I was just talking gibberish, and Eno was kind enough to, <laughs> to uh, respond to my gibberish. So we're glad to have you back. It is harder than it looks, guys, to host. <laughs> just because yeah. the guy who usually does it you know, somehow gets through it doesn't mean it's easy. No, I, I don't know. I just, I have fun doing it. So it's very easy to work with both of you. So that makes the job easier each and every week. On this episode, we are going to begin with the massive turnaround in a bad way for the Angels. The sky is falling in Anaheim right now. Joe Madden out as manager. The Angels in the midst of a 12-game losing streak. So we're just going to start there. We talked about Joe Madden maybe a month or so ago when he walked in a run with the bases loaded as a way of motivating his team. The Angels, of course, won that game. And then they hit this really tough stretch of schedule and didn't play well in this stretch of schedule. And suddenly, Madden's out. And we're talking about a team that two weeks ago was one of the biggest risers from last season. They were making good on the elevated expectations that that myself and I know Ken Rosenthal wrote about that. And there are plenty of other people that were high on the Angels as an improving team for this year. Britt, how did things fall apart so quickly on the Angels? It's remarkable, right? Well, I think they had some injuries. They had pitching problems, which is and, and they haven't been able to stay healthy. A lot of their big guns. It seems like People keep forgetting how good Anthony Rendon is. They've been missing him for a while. Uh, Mike Trout went through like the worst stretch of his career, like so un Mike Trout, right? And then the schedule, they're playing really good teams and that makes it worse. So you, it's remarkable to witness this downfall. I did not see this coming, like firing Madden. I, I kind of don't really agree with it. I think it's very knee jerk. They had a bad two weeks and similar to Joe Girardi in Philadelphia, does it make the Angels better? I don't think so. What do you think, Island Eno? <laughs> Eno's on island time, everyone. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's way in the morning here. I'm waking up. Uh, the, the you know I think the interesting thing about the Angels is a little bit of um, an organiza- organizational problem, and I hate to harp on you know, the inclusion of analytics and player development um, in the way that teams go. But this is a team that uh, basically fired all of their uh, coaches during COVID lockdowns, uh, didn't pay their minor leaguers, and uh, didn't really have a focus on analytics and player development until maybe uh, Perry Manajan took over as GM. And you know Perry's done some th- things to change that, and has made some interesting hires in the minor in the minor leagues. Um, and I think he does value those things. He comes from an Alex Anthopoulos front office, like he he has seen an organization that does a really good job, including R and D and thinking about player development and you know making these wins um, on on a even on a small level, making relievers and making uh, backup players. And you know Taylor Ward is a great story, but it isn't one that is 
indicative of the whole, the health of the entire organization. Joe Madden comes in. He has a reputation for being an analytics-friendly manager. I think that's mostly just because he managed the Rays and was at the very forefront of it. That doesn't mean that he still has that badge today. And he does an interview with Ken Rosenthal when he's done and says, you know, oh, analytics kept me... You read between the lines. He said it was a sort of a general problem in baseball that analytics was keeping the players from being able to just play and from managers from being able to do it was keeping real baseball people down, as Joe Madden put it. That's a real undercurrent, I think, among baseball people. That's a, I don't think Joe Madden is the only one who feels like that. We're right or wrong. I think that's a real thing. I think it's just an awkward phase in baseball in general of sort of like getting to the next layer of coaches that's totally fine with it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you hear Dave Roberts complaining uh, about the the analytics on the Dodgers. You know, (laughs) like there are there are like new managers that are that are used to having a GM in their meetings, you know, who are used to getting uh, input from the R&D department. And I think the better teams are like, hey, everybody gets input. It's not just the manager who makes the lineup card. There's actually everybody's involved in it. And it's a collaborative effort from the lineup card to which relievers are available tonight. We're going to listen to our uh, bullpen coach. We're going to listen to the R&D department of what they think is appropriate amount of rest, given how much they've thrown, that sort of stuff. We'll listen to everybody when we make every decision and i think joe man comes a little bit from an older older place which is like i'm the manager i make decisions and i don't i think that most new the most progressive organizations that we consider quote unquote well run these days take input from everybody yeah i think a lot of this feels like a front office and manager that just were not on the same page and when that happens you get these Seemingly knee-jerk firings. I mean, Joe Madden started in the pandemic-shortened 2020 season, which was a garbage season and pretty much means nothing in the grand scheme of things. It was only 60 games. So being eight below 500 in 2020 doesn't mean he was a failure in the role in this organization. Last season, Mike Trout missed most of the year. Anthony Rendon missed most of the year. The fact that they were below 500 last year, probably not Joe Madden's fault. The 12-game losing streak, Probably not Joe Madden's fault either. So this to me goes back to an organizational dysfunction that has been pretty consistent throughout the time that Artie Moreno has owned this team. So if you want to point the finger at any (laughs) one person for the Angels underwhelming, for the Angels always looking up at the Astros in recent years, Artie Moreno is that person. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you, you know, both made it. And I think it's more the organizational issues than it even is like Joe Madden complaining about analytics, right? Because mm. we have Dusty Baker, Buckshaw Walter, and Tony Larusa in the game now. So we have these older managers who have had success. With with some progressive organizations. I mean some you know the Astros are maybe the most forefront of R and D and analytics. Yes, but I wouldn't call Billy Epler and the Mets the most forefront of the of mm. progressiveness at all. I think there there is a little bit of a balance. I think this mostly has to do with an organization that is just not well run at any level. As you guys said, mm. I mean, Albert Pujols had to pay the salaries of their international people during COVID because they mm. laid them all off. So there is just, it seems like with Artie Marino, he'll pay stars and then nobody in between. And so you have a team full of, you have Otani's and you have Krauts and Rendon. And yes, so you have those stars and you don't have anybody else. And you don't have guys getting better. And this is the issue, I think, from an organizational standpoint. Well, yeah, from, from any type of organization, any professional sports team, any type of organization at all, if you're only paying stars, 
you're going to lose. You're, yes. you're just not going to come through. You need more than stars. You need development. You need to make your own stars. No matter what you do, you need to make your own stars. The Angels, they lured Otani in from Japan. They, they won the Otani sweepstakes, and they found the once-in-a-quarter-century draft gem in the first round when Trout fell that year. Otherwise, it's not a lot of success for the organization as a whole, and a lot of that comes back to the lack of investment in the organization. Cheaping out everywhere else and putting the expensive veneer on everything you're going to see it. The results are going to play out and everyone's going to find out that you're actually just making it look like you're you're doing the right thing while you fail at so many other levels. And they've failed in so many ways over what has been almost a 20-year run now for Moreno as the owner. If I can push back at all, there's one little part of me that's, um, you know, we, we try to always like fix the narrative to uh, the random number generator that is, uh, that is baseball. And... Um, the weird thing is the Angels, you know, according to projections, are scoring and allowing as many runs basically as they would be projected to score and allow going forward. Mm-hmm. And they are projected to be a 54 and 51 team the rest of the way. So, uh, and they've been 27 and 30. Like, what is the real difference? Like, they underplayed they had a bad stretch they could probably turn around tomorrow and have a good stretch and they would be a slightly above 500 team at the end of the season and i saw someone say this on twitter which i thought was hilarious it's um i think uh uh jose castillo said this and he said um okay so when uh when the team's going well we hear that it's an organizational thing the manager doesn't have that much input you know they're only just people managers that you know that that that's just and then you, you you'll hear me say that that's like that that's the the managers are middle managers they don't manage that much. when the key team is going well suddenly firing the manager was going to make a big difference <laughs> yeah. so uh there's a little bit of uh the fact and, and if you look at um, how much tenure uh, coaches have in their roles, pitching coaches, hitting coaches, and managers. Uh, managers have a little bit more tenure. There are t- managers that stick around for a while. Um, pitching coaches and hitting coaches are usually the first to go. So they have, uh, on average, about a year, a year and a half tenure. Like if you're a pitching coach, you've been in your job on average for a year and a half. <laughs> and I think that's because when things are going badly, you fire the hitting coach, you fire the pitching coach. In this case, they were like, ooh, we don't know which one to fire because <laughs> we've been it's kind of – It's all been bad. So let's fire the manager. Uh, and so I do – my heart goes out to um, to some extent to Joe Girardi and, and Joe Madden in, in, in these moments because um, – you know, it's usually like like you guys are talking about. It. It's usually not. It's an organizational thing. There's other things going on. There's lots of different things that come to bear. And I do think that really lack of depth is a big problem because when you have these stars and you're always a 500 team, there's something's missing. You got to bring the floor up. The other thing with the Angels that I think is pretty interesting, right? This is a top 10 offense based on WRC plus. That's while dealing with some injuries. Obviously, there's tons of star power there. I think all of our questions about whether or not they were going to be a possible playoff team this year pointed back to pitching and pitching depth. They added pieces to the bullpen. I think the A relievers at least are good. But if you look at the numbers, they are one of the weaker teams in the league as a staff at missing bats. They're low in team strikeout rate. And many of the teams that lag in team strikeout rate on the pitching side are actually pretty bad teams. So 
you know, just under 8Ks per nine. The Nationals are in that bucket. The A's, the Tigers, the Cardinals are in there right now, but they've had some injuries in the pitching front as well. Rockies, Diamondbacks, Orioles, Royals. That's not the company you want to keep. Now, mm. I'm not going to totally cherry pick it. You look just ahead of them. You get Cleveland and Houston. There's actually about a half K per nine difference between those two teams and the Angels, though. So it's not like those teams are, are smushed together. There's clearly some issues in pitching development and even just finding the right guys. We talked about Noah Syndergaard, I think it was two weeks ago. He's just not the guy that he was pre-surgery. Maybe he gets back to being that guy before season's end, but I'm increasingly skeptical of that switch just being flipped. I think that might take a full, healthy offseason and building strength and kind of going through something, whether it's uh, you know driveline or whatever it might be. So how broken are the Angels? If you compare this team to other teams below 500, and you had to pick a team that's currently below 500 to make the playoffs, are the Angels near the top of that list despite what has happened recently or are you looking somewhere else for that team i mean you can, i kind of put them in the same boat as the phillies right like mm-hmm. these are two teams mm. that i think a lot of people had high hopes for two teams that fired their manager in season which we haven't seen in previous seasons we haven't seen this much it kind of has gone by the wayside and now we've seen it in the span of what five days two managers gone so i don't think the angels are a playoff team as they are currently constructed I don't think firing Joe Madden and replacing him with Phil Nevin is going to help. And the same thing with the Phillies, whose defense is, if this is somehow possible, worse than we thought. We all knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh... I I don't think this is going to like energize a team. I'd be curious. I haven't looked up. When was the last time a team fired a manager in season and went to the playoffs? Coaches can get fired and a team has made the playoffs. It happened to the Nationals actually in 2019. The Cardinals with Mike Schilt? They fired him after they made the playoffs, though. No, no. They didn't fire him in the middle of the season and then go on to make the That's playoffs. right. That was, that was an off-season right fire. That wasn't a late-season yeah. firing. Okay. Yeah. So, like, when was the last time a team had an in-season managerial change and went to the playoffs? They're usually just dead in the water. We've got to have one. There's one. There's one that happened. I know it. Who this, was it? This is when you send up the Jason Stark bat signal, but I Oh, the I White Sox? Oh, that they fired Renteria after the season. It's always been the recent trend now has been because they don't value that manager role has been to wait until the end of the season. The yeah. Brewers did this with Ned Yost at the end of the season back in 2008. Dale Swaim became the interim manager and they still made the playoffs. So that's probably not the most recent one, but that's a rare one where they they made that. It was a weird late season decision too. I mean, a September manager change yeah. and making the playoffs. That's even weirder than making the change early in the season and possibly yeah. getting things fixed, you know, <laughs> for, for the rest of the season. Very weird. You know what I heard, guys? I haven't double checked this, but um, an agent told me this the other day. Kevin Cash is the second longest tenured manager in baseball. Oh, that could totally Behind be possible. Robert but isn't that kind of remarkable? Because I don't feel like Kevin Cash has like been there forever, but it just also shows you the kind of turnover that has happened yeah. in the managerial job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the list yeah. of managers league wide, and Boone it is, is, is mostly guys that have been hired in the last four or five years around the yeah. league. Yeah. Craig Council, also a long tenured. To to answer your question about the Angels, I just if they were in the in the National League, I think I'd give them more of a shot. Like I'd actually give the Phillies more of a shot because right now the wild cards in the in the National League are the Braves, uh, Cardinals, Padres, and then the um, Giants and uh, Phillies are on the outside. But 
not by like two or three games. So like they're not that far out, and the rest of the National League is poop. <laughs> sorry, mm. I just like pooped on a bunch of teams, but I'm sorry. The rest of the, the I don't see any of those bottom uh, teams really making a run. Maybe the Marlins, but I think it's the Phillies are the only the Phillies and Giants are the only teams that are out of the playoffs right now uh, that could play their way in. So if you put the Angels over there, they'd have a, an easier time. Right now in the American League, the wild cards are the Blue Jays, the Rays, um, and, uh, and the Red the Sox. White Sox. Oh, the no, Red, Red Sox. Red Sox yeah, are the, Red Sox. the White Sox. And but that means the White Sox, the Guardians, the Rangers, and the Angels, uh, and maybe even the Mariners are all sort of uh, a run away from uh, getting back in that mix. So I think the AL wild card would be tougher. And uh, the Angels have more uh, crabs to climb over in the bucket. (laughs) You really like the crabs in a bucket analogy. (laughs) Loves it. (laughs) I'd never heard it before the uh, the Preller San Diego story that you wrote uh, a while back. But is the NL as bad as Eno's making it out to be, Britt? Are are these teams as hopeless as it seems? I mean, Atlanta, you talked about them a bit last week, so we don't have to get into great detail there. Having Acuna back, obviously just a direct upgrade having him back in itself is valuable but i also think that team feeds off of him and i know it was amazing that they won the world series without him they kind of found a way without him last year but i think that lift is something we're starting to see play out a little bit more they're they're seven and three in their last 10 yeah they're eight games behind the mets but they they look like a playoff team at this point if you had to make the call today uh phillies we've got your thoughts on them the marlins i guess the marlins to me are kind of like the mariners of yeah. the NL yeah. where you could look at them and kind of talk yourself because of their young talent. You could talk yourself into this possibility of them getting hot enough and then being right around that 500 level come July. And then they would talk themselves into fixing some of their flaws by making some trades because they've got the depth to do it. They have young pitching in spades and the league wants pitching. So I think the Marlins are kind of low key dangerous as a team that's seven below 500 on the 8th of June. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw this yesterday, but they had a big team meeting because they've been underplaying because I think they expected to be more competitive. And Don Mattingly told reporters yesterday in Miami, um, you know, that they had some things that they had to hash out as a team. And he said he wouldn't be surprised if they came out flat. Of course, then they come out and absolutely clobber the Nationals. But people were kind of speculating on Twitter that there was some kind of player fighting. Um, I talked to a player um on Miami yesterday. And he said that it was just like a, let's, you know, let's get our ass in gear, like light a fire type of meeting. It wasn't like players actually fighting with each other. Um, Kim Ng general manager was in that meeting. So it was more of like an organizational, like let's pull this together. Um, Which you teams have a lot. They don't often become public and they certainly don't become public as the manager is like, yeah, we had a team meeting today and things got a little crazy, which I thought was very interesting for Mattingly who is in, I think is final year of his contract to say, hey, this is what's going on with this team and we got to get it together. Um, I do think the Marlins are a little bit dangerous and they have underperformed. Um, The NL East in general has been disappointing. I didn't see the Marlins being this far from 500. I certainly didn't see the Nationals being this bad. I I thought they'd be competitive. And then everyone is surprised by what has gone on with the Braves. And we talked about the Phillies. So I agree with, you know, the NL is an easier bounce back area in the second half than the American League for sure especially when you look at the NL East and what we all thought was going to be a much stronger division it's like the Mets and everybody else 
And it's interesting to see there's a core there's a there's a, some similarities actually between what the Marlins have done so far and what the uh, what the Angels have done so far. Just the sort of statistically in terms of runs scored, runs given up, run differential, they look similar. They're teams that are that have a positive run differential that are scoring more than they're giving up, and yet have been below 500 to date and are projected uh, to be above 500 going forward. Like the Marlins are projected to win 56 wins, and the Angels are projected to be 54, and yet the organizations took different tax to solving the problem right you know instead of firing Don Mattingly which they could easily do right he's like you say he's in the last year of his of his deal uh you've got a new general manager trying to turn things around maybe wants to hire their own uh manager at the end of the year uh but I I I kind of respect that energy of being like like, is it really Don Mattingly? You know, like, is it is he really the problem? Remember, are we going to make the playoffs if I fire Don Mattingly? I think that I, I like what uh, Kim Ang did there in terms of like, hey, let's let's test the organization. Let's test our communicative skills. Let's see if this sort of meeting does anything. Let's see. Uh, let's see what comes out of it. Let's let's continue to sort of. Uh, figure out best practices as an organization a- instead of just doing what people used to do and fire somebody. <laughs> so uh, I'm interested to see where these two go from here because they're projected to be very similar statistically. They're not necessarily in terms of team build, right? Like the Marlins are more pitching friendly and pitching strength and whatever. But, um, you know, this, those Marlins teams are supposed to score more than they have. And they they did acquire a bunch of bats and some of them underperformed. So how do you get those bats to perform better? Do you fire the manager or maybe do you just have a meeting and say, hey, you know, this hasn't been good enough, guys. <laughs> you know, like you might, you might feel like it's been good enough, but, you know, look at, look, do you know what our record is? <laughs> yeah. I mean, despite some of those underperforming free agent additions, Avi Garcia is the first name that comes to mind. But I know at one point, not that long ago, Jorge Soler was probably in a similar conversation despite the occasional and he's started shot. to turn it around yeah i think he's he's looked a little more like himself more recently the marlins have a 106 wrc plus right they're 12th in the league they're above average offensively even with that and that's not a place that we've seen them in recent years so there is some significant improvement on that front they're a top 10 team uh on the pitching side in k minus bb percentage mentioned the depth they can afford to withstand a few injuries they have things they can trade i see more reasons to be optimistic about them than a lot of other teams currently below 500. We should go to the bad place of the teams <laughs> above 500. What oh, team no. do people love right oh, now? Geez. Who's the next Angels? Who's the team that three weeks from now, when we flip the calendar to July, we get to oh, the week or no. two before the All-Star break, we're, we're thinking about the 4th of July and brats and hot dogs and all that stuff, or vegan <laughs> dogs or whatever, whatever brings you joy on the 4th of July. What currently good team are we going to be talking about as a team that just fell Let apart? Let us now take that joy from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> why can't we have nice things? Uh, <laughs> yeah. is, the, is, is it just they have to be above 500? Is that the only stipulation? I think that's the only rule, yeah. An above 500 team that you think could go through a, a rough patch and then put themselves in that conversation as, a, hey, what went wrong? Well, I mean, Atlanta's over 500. The Cardinals are over 500. Boston's over 500, but they already had their what could go wrong stage. If they have another one, they're just bad, right? Like, you, you guys had your chance. <laughs> and that's another great example, right? No one was like, hey, let's fire Alex Cora. They're right. kind of those, those teams, the Angels and Red Sox, are like the polar. If you were to make a graph, they'd be like an absolute inverse of each other. 
right? <laughs> because the Red Sox are kind of coming up, and obviously the Angels have just completely fallen off of a cliff. This is me trying to not air- answer Derek's question. Ah. I'll, I'll give you some more time. No, I'll give you some more time. I think one of the one of the things about the the I'm, Alex Cora situation is that I think Alex Cora and Hyam Bloom are on the same page. Like I think yeah. that the relationship between GM, front office, and and manager in that case that's strong, right? It, it's Healthy. in that that council cash you know, that that range of, of managers that you just don't see going anywhere anytime soon. You can it's tell more about the managers choosing to suspended leave. Suspended for five for a year and then it's like, oh, come right, on back. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I bought you some more time. Go ahead, Britt. Yeah, everyone wants to say the Mets. I don't believe I don't believe that's gonna happen. I believe in the Mets. The Giants though could free fall, even though they haven't been that impressive. But they still are twenty nine yeah, about five hundred, right yeah. Yeah. I don't see the, the Padres doing what they did last year. I don't see that collapse coming. Um, not with Bob Melvin, not with the way Manny Machado's played. They just seem like a little bit of a different atmosphere from everything I've heard over there. The Mets have a lot of injuries that are piling up. They had a bunch of guys leave the game against San Diego Tuesday night. Still kind of waiting to hear what's going on with a lot of that. Obviously, DeGrom Scherzer. But they usually they have decent depth. It's like they still have Dom Smith in the minor leagues. Like at least they, have they have a really a great depth. Yes. Yeah. And their offense has been really good. And I don't think people expected the offense, they expected the pitching to carry them. So I don't see the Mets collapsing. I think maybe the Giants would be a good candidate for that. Um, maybe the Cardinals as well, because especially that the Cardinals are an older team. They're built on the, you know, the Wainwrights and the Yachties and the history of all that. And as much as I would love to see them have this great year and this final year for pool hosts and all these guys, because it's such an easy story. Um, that could easily be a, hey, we've got double digits on the injured list or in August type of situation. Well. Uh, these aren't necessarily normally nerd attire, but I uh, am our resident nerd. And so, um, <laughs> Glavin, I will check the uh, numbers here. And I can tell you there is one team above 500 that is projected to be below 500 going forward. And I oh bet God. you, you guys Who couldn't it? guess it. It's not the Mets, is it? Is it the Mets? I think it could be. It the hasn't twins. been said yet, so that's a. There it is. It's the Twins. It's the Twins oh. because the projections oh. didn't like the Twins to begin with, so they wouldn't have changed enough. One of changed. Wouldn't have changed in the inputs. You know, two months and a week into the season, for their their projected fate to be all that different. So I, I, they're a candidate for it, but can you make the case that the numbers are actually wrong, Mister Resident Nerd? <laughs> <laughs> That's a doctor resident nerd to you. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the big key is they're scoring about as much as they're supposed to uh, score going uh, forward. Uh, The big difference is they've allowed under four runs per game and they're supposed to allow four and a half going forward. So you have to, you know, obviously in that situation, look at the pitching on the twins and decide who you think is over their skis and, you know, I would guess that uh, you know projections wouldn't like Joe Ryan as much as they did in the in the past, um, and maybe they're seeing. Uh, it depends on how many innings they give Sonny Gray after his injury. Uh, I'm sure the projections don't like Devin Smeltzer. I do. I will point out uh, that uh, stuff stuff plus loves Devin Smeltzer. I don't know why. Uh, there's something about his stuff, even though he doesn't throw hard. Um, he he's uh, he does all right in the in the model. Um, but I would say that, uh, uh, you know, Dylan Bundy, I mean, yes, e- even as much as they found pitchers that are good, 
there is a little bit of a softness to this. Like Chris Archer has a 389 ERA, but he has a five FIP, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, looking at his strikeouts and homers. So uh, there are some players there that could be over their skis. And I guess the, and, but this is, you know, I think we said this, did we say this on Rates and Barrels yesterday, which is the Twins look like a team that would trade for pitching. Yeah, they've got major league ready players that they can't, all fit into their lineup right now and i think when you're in that position and you're you're front running in a division that's a little bit soft i think you you make that sacrifice because you can trade for someone that isn't just the rental and it's justified because of where you're at yeah Yeah. true yeah so you could fix the thing that the projections don't like and and make the projections wrong in this case yeah and especially because they're missing chris paddock for the season so that's something that they anticipated having. And so I think yeah. you have to go out and replace him. If you're still in first place, if you're still in this situation, nobody saw the White Sox kind of just being mediocre. So you have to kind of capitalize on that's another reason why I don't think that the twins are going to, you have to look at, well, who will overtake them, right? Do we see Cleveland or the White Sox overtaking them? It's Ooh. so weird. Cause the White Sox are yeah. projected to be way better than the twins going forward. Five wins better. Um, and a 23, a, a, a team with a 23 plus 23 run differential. Well, the twins are supposed to be under, we're supposed to give up more runs than they score going forward. So that, that is a recipe for the White Sox coming over, but the White Sox have been outscored by 52 runs. Like, listen, I I'm aware of baseball. I follow all the teams and I knew that, you know, the, I knew the White Sox were not doing as good as they should have, but 52 runs. They have not yeah. scored four runs per game. They're one of, they're one of like uh, maybe eight teams that is not scoring four runs per game right now. Uh, they're a bottom offense. How is this possible? They're a bottom five offense right now. How is that possible? Part of it is that they've lost a lot of games to injury. Tim Anderson's on the IL right now. Mm-hmm. Andrew Vaughn spent some yeah. time on the IL earlier this season. AJ Pollock missed some time already. Luis Robert missed some time earlier this season. Mankata missed some time earlier this season. So it's it's that. I could see them coming together. I mean, they're all they're all pretty healthy now, right? I mean, is Robert is out and then is there is there He's back. It's just Anderson now. They're finally getting healthier. Eloy's still down too. So they have had on the position player side, they've lost as many games to the aisle as anybody so far. Oh, and uh, Jimenez, uh, Eloy Jimenez is is in rehab and Tim Anderson uh, is going into rehab. So uh, there, I think, I mean, I'm not saying I hate the Twins or I think they're a terrible team or you just look at what's happening and there's a recipe there the other place that there's a recipe is of course in the central i think with the cardinals it's just it's not also that i hate the cardinals it's just that (laughs) the brewers are really good um and the 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 cardinals at least according to projections have been a little bit over their skis when it comes to pitching um and you know if you look at the pitching staff you might say "Ooh, like they're 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 a top you know five pitching staff i don't I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said that preseason is at least what I'm saying and um, uh, and so there's a little bit of recipe there. The only difference between the Twins and White Sox and the Cardinals and Brewers is that um, the Guardians are going to play well in that Central Division and um, there's a little bit more competition. Whereas the Cardinals could not be as good as they've been so far, but then get a bunch of games against the bottom of the of the division and and stay healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I th- I think the Brewers and the Cardinals are both vulnerable relative to the other 
projected NL playoff teams. Like there's a gap between them and the Mets and the Dodgers uh, and maybe even Atlanta again. Not surprising after what Atlanta did last year, of course. But part of my concern for the Cardinals is that they're 26th in team K minus BB percentage. That pitching staff's not good. Yeah, they're going to get Jack Flaherty back, but they need Jack Flaherty back healthy and like really good Jack Flaherty. And they need more than that. So they have to go out and make a move. And I think they they could, they can, they will most likely. It just, it's going to take some adjustments there. The Brewers, obviously the pitching is very good. They're showing a lot of the same flaws that they had a year ago offensively. They are 19th Scoring in WRC runs. plus as a team. Yeah. They are the, they're the, the inverse of the twins. Which problem would you rather have? Who's, Whose GM job would you rather have right now? Britt, would you rather be the GM of the Twins with their flaws or would you rather be the GM of the Brewers with their current flaws and the injuries they're dealing with? They already got Freddie Peralta on the IL probably till very late in the year. So they lost one of their big three. Fortunately, Eric Lauer has stepped up. But which side of that, which problem is the more desirable problem to solve in season? Probably the Twins, because as we mentioned, they have the capital to easily make trades at the deadline. And I think that's if you're a GM, you can't control how these guys are playing, but you can control the player procurement. That's a big part of your job. So I think for the twins and they were, they've been active. We saw what they did this winter and getting Carlos Correa, right? They're trying to go as all in as possible for Minnesota. So I think I'd rather be the GM of the Minnesota twins than the Milwaukee Brewers right now. I, I agree uh, for slightly different reasons. I'd like, I, I agree because like if you think about it, the Twins just need a starting pitcher, right? They need to they need, like they could almost any quality, but like the better the quality, the better. But like there's there's five slots, right? Like you can you can find one that's a two or three or a four, and you'd improve your team, right? Like there's a lot of different options. You just kind of need an arm, right? But when you look yeah. at the Brewers, like they're pretty good everywhere, so it's not like you can just get a bat and be better, right? It, like it it has to be a bat that maybe can play center field and improve upon Lorenzo Cain, which is actually really tough to get. It's like, oh, we're just going to go get an offensive center fielder right now in the middle of the season? Like, everybody wants that. Um, And if you look at their other positions, like, you know, Hunter Renfro, he's pretty good. He's not bad. You'd have to do pretty well on the the trade market to do better than Hunter Renfro. Um, And so what they're kind of looking for, and this is a thing that I think – uh, I think it's true a little bit about the Giants too. What the Brewers and Giants need offensively is another star. Mm-hmm. Like they they need like a really good hitter, um, and it needs to be at a decent position defensively uh, because they already have sort of a collection of guys who can play first in DH. Right, so it's not not like they can just go get Nelson Cruz and be like, we're done. Um, so I think it's a little bit more complicated to find a really good bat that fits into your team than it is to just go get an arm. You know, the Twins could even maybe get better getting a bullpen arm, you know, <laughs> like and, and shortening the game somehow. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit more complicated when you need a bat and you need the bat to clear a certain threshold offensively and probably play a certain position. Yeah, I think to, to Britt's point about what you have in your organization in terms of being able to make trades, the the Brewers do not too. have a lot of big Man, league ready prospects that are going to bring back star power. Like if you're going to get a star, usually it's going to take multiple players that are ready to contribute at the big league level. So I don't know if I see a path like that. Maybe they've got some other Willie Adames type trade. He's missed time on the IL. That's a part of why the offense is below average, right? If, if Adames were completely healthy, 
Maybe we're talking about them as the, the league's 15th best offense. That's possible. I still don't know if that's good enough given the swing and miss in that lineup and the way that sort of build can come and go offensively, right? We saw it in the playoffs last year. Adames is way more important to the Brewers than people realized. Christian Yelich is still a below average player offensively this season. It's been some signs of him bouncing back and then a prolonged stretch where he's looking like 2021 Yelich again. So it's been pretty frustrating there. I don't know which spot you upgrade. Maybe you trade a player on the big league roster and a prospect to upgrade a spot. Maybe it's something just outside the box like that. But they do look a little bit vulnerable with one pitching injury already, like taking Peralta out for a long time. Woodruff should be back soon, so I'm not really counting that as a a long-term concern. Um, If they are able to keep Burns and Woodruff healthy and Lauer healthy, then they're in great shape to just continue staying afloat. But they have to make an adjustment before we get to October if they want their fate to be any different. Yeah, you guys are totally right about this. Uh, like I'm, I'm looking right now at at Fangraphs, uh, you know, top prospects for the Brewers, um, and you know, I think what you'd want to do is trade from organizational strength uh, to fit organizational weakness. So you'd want to trade a pitcher, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you just have more of those, and you know, Ashby seems like a really, really good six five, four, whatever, you know, like a guy who's can step in now and pitch for them while guys are hurt. So maybe you say, okay, Ethan Small, he's our guy who's closest to the big leagues. He's shown some success. Uh, maybe people like his, his minor league strikeout rates. His command has been iffy. Uh, do we want to depend on Ethan Small? Well, guess what happens if you trade Ethan Small? There's not really much of a firewall if another guy gets hurt while Ashby's in the rotation. Like who steps into the rotation if uh, if uh, somebody gets hurt now, right? It would be Ethan Small, but I don't. If you if you don't have Ethan Small, who do you who do you who do you do you do you go to like uh, the 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 sort of Gio Gonzalez well where you like just try to find some veteran that's out there that's still throwing or I don't know. Yeah, bring like, back uh, Brett I, Anderson. I, oh. Oh, that's what that's what you do. So maybe that's what you do. Maybe you say, okay, we can get enough of a bat here for with Ethan Small, and we're gonna try and go get a bat for Ethan Small. And uh, I don't know, like, could you get Trey Mancini for Ethan Small and and another prospect? You know, probably. I don't think the league as a whole values players like Trey Mancini. Not Trey Mancini specifically. No. I just think that profile is undervalued in the trade market. So. First base, corner, outfield. Yeah, if you get a guy that can play a couple spots, and obviously your your DH isn't totally settled with McCutcheon there. I mean, he can play a lot, but is he he necessarily somebody you want to play every day? At this stage of his career, probably not. So adding a little depth that way by putting someone else in the mix that plays multiple spots, that could be the answer. But I do think it's a tougher fit uh, in Milwaukee right now trying to address their issues. Someone hinted at this. I think it was maybe both of you. I look at the Giants. And I'm back to where I was early last year, where I'm I'm losing the faith again. By the end of last season, I finally believed in it. Throughout the winter, I believed in it. After about a month and a half, I've started to look at them and go, how are they doing this? Is this really going to work? And mm-hmm. I'm preparing myself to once again look like an idiot. I watch this team more than I've watched them in years past because they're, you know, they're, they're on locally. So they, they're in there on. They play late. So. I see as much Giants baseball now as I have seen at any point in the last three years. (laughs) What is my deal? What am I missing with this team? I know they're one of the more discussed teams over the the life of this 
podcast as a whole. But Britt, do you do you see it? Do you see the Giants as a legitimate, dangerous October team as they are currently built? No, not right now. And I was going to ask Eno because I feel like being on the East Coast, I don't watch the Giants, but sporadically. So I don't watch them nearly as much as I watch other teams. And I don't, I don't see, I was hoping Eno would maybe convince me, I don't see how, it seems like almost last year they caught lightning in a bottle with a lot of older players. They're showing their age at times. You've got a lot of guys who played, I don't want to say over their skis, but had really good years, haven't been able to follow it up. And then I look at the teams in front of them, which I think is important, right? This isn't the NL East. I look at the Padres and the Dodgers, and I wonder, are the, are the Giants any better than either of those teams? And I just don't see it. Let's see if our resident nerd can convince uh, me otherwise. What do I? <laughs> I think what they're trying to do is uh, do what the Dodgers did when they spent enough in free agency to remain competitive, did enough uh, work at the bottom of the roster to remain competitive, but we're kind of waiting for some kids to come up. Um, and that was a little bit sort of pre-2020 Dodgers. And so I do think the Giants, to some extent, are waiting for some kids to come up. To make the case for them being better going forward than they have been so far, I think Alex Wood is better than he's been so far. You can see it just in a basic sort of ERA, FIP sort of uh, comparison, but just, you know, he shouldn't have a 4.6 ERA. Alex Cobb shouldn't have a 5.7 ERA. Both those guys uh, should be better going forward. They could really fuel a sort of a pitching led run. Um, and then on the offense, I had a revelation recently. Um, I was looking at heat maps, and half of this team uh, are high ball hitters, and half this team are low ball hitters. And so I actually think this is, uh, I think that's their magic when it comes to offensively. Because when you look at that team, you can say platoon. So half the teams are lefty, half the teams are righty. There's, there's some like platoon magic, but there's also this high ball, low ball thing. And I think what that means is when I look at their box scores, every night someone else is getting a hit. And I think that means is those are the guys that they put in for the matchups, right? Wilmer Flores, classic high ball hitter, has this really flat swing. And he, you know, I, Pedro Martinez said this once if you watch a hitter when they step to the plate and they take a practice swing they're showing you where they want the ball and so Wilmer Flores when he takes his practice swing it's just at the top of the zone just a super flat swing um, and then you've got low ball hitters like Darren Ruff um, and Brandon Belt who just loves to golf he takes the low ball and, and, and golfs it out of that stadium so uh, you've got a mix of high ball hitters and low ball hitters and basically what I'm saying is they're doing the best to, to juice this orange I just I think it's an orange and not a mango or something more fun. I don't know. I, I, was wait, I, I, I was lost myself. I was waiting to see where you're going with that. Yeah, it's exactly. just, like, they, maybe, maybe it's a tangerine, is, not an orange, like a little guy. You had so much momentum going right there. I'm like, oranges are fine. Care, care. Oranges yeah, are great. But, but I'm saying they need, a, they need a star. Like they didn't they didn't go get an offensive yeah. star. Seiya Suzuki would have been better for this team. They would have been a big deal for this team, I think. And better, they they haven't spent on a big bat and yeah. they could use a better bat. I think they can do yes. what they can to get the most out of what they've got, but they could have better <laughs> players. But here's the thing. We started the show talking about the Angels, and all the Angels do is go after stars, and they spend the money, and the Angels suck mm. pretty much every year. And the Giants are doing the little Giants things right. Everything else. They're doing <laughs> everything that matters. They're putting yeah. in the work. So yeah. how can yeah. I be critical of the Angels in one breath and then 42 minutes later say, well, I just because... don't know if this team without stars doesn't work, but that's where my mind is. My, my no, little no, lizard no. brain thinks that they can't win because they don't no. have superstars. But they, look, Jock Peterson's You're having right. the best year of his career. Mike Yastrzemski is the player that he was when he had that breakout again. He's 40% better than league average so far. Wilmer's 20% better than league average. 
average. Evan Longoria is still producing. Brandon Belt, when he's not hurt, still producing. Like, it is the depth. It is They are playing a different sort of game. You're totally right. If you could push these two teams together... <laughs> Yes, they'd be a super team. Yes, they'd be the Dodgers. You need, like, this is where the Giants go wrong, though. And they people complained about this even this winter. Like, they kind of acted like this small market team. Poor Dawn was like a good Ron signing. He, he loves the waiver claims and the incremental moves, which is great. But you're also the San Francisco Giants. So make the waiver claims, but then also pony up and get the two or three big names and continue what you're doing. And then you have a really good team. Then you are the Dodgers, right? You are the depth and the star power. And that's why, like, merging the Angels and Giants would be an absolute super team. Yeah, so I guess, good. though, we have to look back at this year's free agent class. And say a Suzuki, if Seiya Suzuki's the guy they they missed on, then okay. Like, I don't think that's going to cost them in the long term. Like, it's they'd, they'd be better with him than they are without him. But that's a pretty marginal difference. And I think so long as he stays healthy, Carlos Rodon was an amazing signing if he stays healthy. That that was the right. value was of the entire signing. winter. It gives them an ace without the without the seven-year commitment. Yeah, Maybe he's going to be gone next year. Sometimes you can be too obsessed with value and efficiency. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of these front offices. Like the Giants had this great year. Going to be able to kind of hang back and do it again. They needed to supplement with some big signings and they just didn't do enough. And Ooh. now they're going to be third in that division. They're going to finish third in that division. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm checking Probably. this out here. Who, who I, I want to be. I want to be more precise about this real quick. Uh, who should they have signed? Uh, the top ones were Correa, Simeon, Marte. Mm. See, Marte might have been actually kind of cool. Also possible that they tried, and all those like the players they tried. I'm not trying to defend teams for not spending money. That's not what this is. But I wonder if I wonder if they were close to any of those guys. Those were I all... think they were close on Seiya Suzuki. That's why I mentioned him. Yeah, so maybe he was the guy they were closest on. Story, I thought Story would have made a lot of sense for them because it just made them better. Yeah. They can play him at second base the same way Boston was. I thought that was going to be a big boost to their lineup. That that made some sense to me. Yes, and I, and they were on Story. I, can, I I knew that at the time. I don't I don't break news like that very often, but like they were on Story. So uh, I don't know. Uh, I, but but Brick can still be right, right? Like they could be in on these guys, which is like good for being in on them. But then. You know what it was it I think it was I think Friedman said if you if you if you only stick to your numbers then you'll never win a free agent like right yeah at it's, some it's, point it's like playing you have fantasy to baseball yes in the first round yeah, if you, you stick to your numbers you'll never get a first rounder in an auction yeah. you always have to pay a little extra to get that first yeah. rounder if you pay a little extra two or three times but then you get a deal twenty three times on your roster you're gonna do fine like the three times yeah. you overpaid probably aren't going to ruin you especially when you're a big market team. I think it comes back to this. If there's a player, a specific player they should have had that they don't have that keeps them from making the playoffs, okay, then we can look at it and say it was a mistake. But what I every night when I watch this team, I'm just I'm kind of blown away that they're able to do as well as they do with the cast they have, which oh my speaks God. volumes about the work they're putting in, being ahead of the curve, doing things that other teams simply aren't thinking about or at least not spending money on, which probably goes back to ownership and a willingness to invest in the right areas. But the last question I have about the Giants, they did it last year by adding Chris Bryant. There's no reason why they couldn't do it again at the deadline this year. They've got three highly coveted prospects between Marco Luciano, Luis Matos, Kyle Harrison, and they got some other guys behind that that teams would be They're interested in as well. Though, They're think. not trading the big three, but you get to like Will Bednar, Averson, Arteaga, 
Elliot Ramos. Maybe there's some guys in that range that they would be willing to move. Ramos is closer to big league ready. So I, I wonder if the Giants are just going to pull the midseason move again because you're not making that long-term commitment. Right? You're giving up some long-term value, but now you're scouting well, you're drafting well, you're developing players well. You can afford to, to spend players via trade, and you're not making those long-term commitments. What if they were a Soto team? How cool would that be? Soto's not getting traded this year. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. No, you guys, are just trying, you guys are just trying to anger me. It's like the stupidest rumor I've literally ever heard. Who started that rumor, by the way? Uh, ESPN me. did, and it's awful. Delete your they account. They had a whole piece about it, yeah. That's a delete yeah. your account situation. He wasn't getting it traded. It really is. It's really would, dumb, would like so. uh, Brian Reynolds, he kind of almost seems like a Giants Brian player. Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> he was a Giants. Oh, was he, a, he was a Giant? <laughs> he was a Giants player. He was the McCutcheon trade. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten that. So a different That's front amazing. office, I think, that drafted him, at least. Maybe not the, the same front office that traded him. Well, I'm kind of I'm trolling through here. I think, you know, maybe one of those old guys that came through on the Cubs, you know, uh, they're not necessarily part of the future there. But I can't imagine yeah. like like Rafael Ortega or something. But that's no, not that's no, not that's that's, that's not it. But if they're still where they're at, you know, a month and three weeks from now, I think they're yeah. they're going to push more chips in because they're dangerous. They're basically top ten offense and pitching. And if you're there, you're good enough to to get to the playoffs. So if you get better, you're good enough to win in the playoffs. That's where I'm at. Despite not really believing in them when I watch, like I got I'm mystified. They're they're, they're the greatest show in the league right now that I just, it's like, it's like when you watch the video of that kid juggling Rubik's cubes while solving them, I can't even juggle the Rubik's cubes without dropping them. And this kid's juggling three and solving them in a world record pace. But the thing, the giants have the same problem as the brewers though, that when they trade for somebody he has to have some defensive value, I think, because this is not a good defensive team. So they need to actually slot, huh? But they yeah, position really well. They don't care. Like they, they're old. Mm. They, they, they just they, they say defense doesn't matter. Not in the Philly sort of way because they, they work yeah, around it not, a little better. They're not awful at defense, but I, they're not very good at defense. So it would be better if they got some. That's why I was focusing on center fielders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, center fielder would make a lot of sense. All right. So last question on the Giants, and we're gonna go. Are the Giants a playoff team in 2022? Yes or no, Britt? No. You know. You know. Yes. Three teams make it out of the West, or you think the Padres fall? Oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I think two from the Central go. I think the Padres keep the spot, and I think two from the East go. I think it's Giants yeah. or Braves. Wow. Ooh, that's probably pretty accurate, yeah. I think I would take Atlanta, even though I'm going to look stupid again. So I guess no, I'm, I'm, I'm a no. I'm with Britt on this one. I think it's a no even though I've turned into my own version of the king of waffles here for the last 20 minutes. I, like I said, I'm impressed by what they're doing, but at the same time, I don't know how they're doing it. I still don't understand it, even though I've stared at it for a long time, just like the Rubik's Cubes. If you got a question for us for a future episode, drop it on the video in YouTube or send us an email. You can use the Rates and Barrels email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. On Twitter, Brit is at Brit underscore Giroli. Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. At 3-0 Show, you've always got chickens. I mean, uh, the green light. (laughs) 